Cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys who use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, December 17th, 2013. Today's program is... Oh, man. Like a charismatic train wreck with a horrible... Seriously, a serious contender for the worst... Christmas sermon ever preached in all of history. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, there is a lot of controversy in the body of Christ right now as a result of John MacArthur's book, Strange Fire. And uh, it's fascinating to see the response of those on the other side of the debate, the people who are claiming that uh, signs and wonders, apostles, prophets, and folks like that are for today. Now, if you're sitting on the fence on this particular thing, if you're sitting to yourself saying, you know, I'm not sure if the cessationists have won the uh, won the day with me with regarding the biblical arguments and stuff like that. Now, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. I, I'm sure that you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But let's think of it this way, okay? And that's this. We can sit here and we can disagree whether or not the sign gifts are for today or not. We can debate that, okay? But uh, one thing's for sure is that Scripture makes it very clear that we are to test all things. And anybody who claims to come to us with a prophetic word, who claims to be receiving special direct revelation from God, um, they have, well, they've got to be tested. They need to be put off into a special box, if you would, and quarantine from the rest of the body of Christ. Now, if you disagree uh, you know, with John MacArthur and uh, the cessationists as to whether or not the sign gifts are for now, let's do this little exercise. We're going to do an exercise today where we're going to test people who claim to be receiving direct revelation from God via one way or another, and we are going to 
test them. Now, here's the idea, is that God the Holy Spirit is not going to uh, provide signs and wonders and miracle-working power to people who are wolves, people who twist the Word of God, people who make merchandise of the body of Christ. And so what we can do is, you know, systematically just walk through the testing to see if what folks be saying that they're receiving, you know, the special stuff that they're receiving from God the Holy Spirit is really from God the Holy Spirit. Uh, because uh, whether or not you agree with the cessationist point of view, uh, the one thing you should be willing to do, especially if you don't agree with cessationists, is be willing to scrutinize down to the nano doctrine those who are claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God. So that's the idea. So what we're going to do that in hour number one today. We're going to be testing some major, uh, I don't even, how do I put it, some more major than others. We're going to kind of build up the ladder. We're going to start kind of at the bottom of the charismatic food chain and work our way up to some people who are uh, more well-known, mainstream within the uh, uh, the general charismatic movement and see if what they're saying is true. And uh, and so that will make up our first hour. Now, like I said at the top of the program, hour number two is going to be spent Oh, man, reviewing a sermon that, I got to tell you, comes really, really close, if not actually crosses the line into the category of worst Christmas sermon ever preached. Now, you're thinking, well, Chris, didn't you um, deem that Troy Gramling a few years ago had preached the worst Christmas sermon of all time? Yep, I. that's exactly correct. A couple of years ago... I made the claim up to that point that Troy Gramling had preached the worst Christmas sermon ever known in the history of Christianity. Now, today's contestant for worst Christmas sermon ever preached in the history of Christianity, and though we're not going to be doing a vote at the end of this, I'm just playing for you uh, what uh, what passes for Christmas preaching nowadays uh, so that you can see what's going on among celebrity pastors, preachers, teachers, and uh, folks in the megachurch movement, uh, what they think is a Christmas sermon. We will be going back to Potential Church and listen to their youth pastor, the youth pastor of Potential Church, deliver for us a Christmas sermon. And uh got to tell you, you know, um, you know, since Troy Gramling is this young man's mentor, um, you know, he has learned from the best as far as how to preach the worst. That's all I have to say. So that's what's going to constitute the entirety of today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And since we're what we're going to be hearing today in hour number one and hour number two literally could be life-threatening. And I mean that. Um, if you are lifting weights while listening to this episode of Fighting for the Faith, if you're driving heavy machinery, if you work in law enforcement, um, make sure that your pistol um you know your 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 service weapon is uh is the safety is on the weapon is holstered and that it can't accidentally discharge while it is hearing the craziness that you're going to hear so I, i've got to play our standard warning for today's episode of fighting for the faith and then we will get right into it so uh, let's do that here warning. we go fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities operating heavy deadly equipment playing farmville or any time-wasting brain-numbing activity for sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain 
drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. All right, you've been warned. So today we're going to begin with a um, a um, video message presented by Matt Sorger, who is now a regular over at Patricia King's XPmedia.com website. And he is going to be talking about discernment. <laughs> Yes, like I said, you have been warned. So here's Matt Sorger talking about discernment. Here we go. It started to happen to me after, I'll tell you the story first and then I'll, I'll give you the scripture. Um, I was in a Randy Clark meeting and my words of knowledge and discernment up till that point operated through vision and um, by knowing it. Like God would speak it to me. I'd hear it. I'd see it. I would hear a word or I would, you know, it would come be processed through my mind. Uh, but then I was in a Randy Clark meeting and he prayed an impartation over me. And Randy Clark gets his words of knowledge for healing by feeling it. He physically feels it in his body, a pain or something in an area of his body. So I was in a service and we're praying for people and uh, all of a sudden, I start to feel pain in my ovaries. Hmm. So, he, so talking about discernment, he gets these words of knowledge and stuff like that by feeling it and claims that you can have this too. And one time he was at a prayer meeting and his ovaries hurt. Mm-hmm. Did you go and see a gynecologist for this problem, Matt? <laughs> And I'd never quite experienced that before. It was not comfortable. So maybe you were passing a kidney stone. I, uh, I said, there's a lady here. You got ovary condition here. Come up here and God's going to heal you right now. And no one was responding. That's the worst. When you call out a word and no one responds, you know it's in the room, but they're just embarrassed to get up in front of everybody. So I'm like, I know you're here because I feel the pain, and this pain is not leaving until you get healed. And that's a lot of times how it operates with feeling it. You'll feel a pain in a certain part of your body, and the pain will stay there until the person gets healed. Uh-huh. So uh, awkward moments in uh, in word of knowledge, ministry, healing services type things. And you say this is all about learning discernment. Uh-huh. I thought discernment's about being able to test whether or not the message is really from God the Holy Spirit, if it's really lining up with God's Word. Here, we're learning about men having pains in their ovaries while engaging in so-called healing ministry work. Mm-hmm. Now, why should I believe that this man is hearing from God the Holy Spirit? Is there any particular reason that you can think of as to why I should believe that Matt Sorger is really actually receiving these pains in his ovaries um, through the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's continue to can't, can't hold on to that question 
and uh, we'll continue. The pain leaves, you know the healing has happened. So I just waited, and finally a lady came forward, and we prayed for her. The pain left me, and as soon as the pain left me, I knew she was healed, and she was healed. She was totally healed by it. So one of the ways of getting either discernment or word of knowledge is by feeling it. And mm-hmm. Okay, so you can get discernment or word of knowledge by feeling it. And um, where is this taught in the Bible? The scripture for that is 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. Okay, hang on a second here. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. Let me pull this up in my computerized Bible. Um, by the way, um, we just kind of on an aside... Um, after the first of the year, there's a really good chance that uh, we're going to be working with Logos. Now, just so you know, I use both Logos and um, and uh, Accordance, but I've been using Logos more and more and more and more as it has become a better platform. I mean, just, you know, a few years ago, it really was, wasn't even available on the Mac, but now it's a... Uh, it's on the Mac and it's just getting just even more spectacular. But so just keep that in mind. But Second um, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 teaches me that I can have discernment by feeling it. Hmm. Okay. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Second Corinthians chapter 11 and we're going to apply our three rules of sound biblical exegesis. Now, this should be what I would consider a definitive test as to whether or not God the Holy Spirit is actually um, speaking through somebody. And what I mean by that is this, is that if they can't even rightly handle God's Word, why would God the Holy Spirit um, give words of knowledge to somebody who is absolutely unskilled at handling his word and, you know, and then, you know, go ahead and affirm their ministry through signs and wonders while the message they're preaching doesn't actually line up with God, with what the Holy Spirit has actually revealed to the different authors of Scripture. So Matt Sorger is claiming here that uh, we can have discernment via our feelings, and he says 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 teaches this. So let me read the verse out of context, and let's take a look and see if what it's saying in context. Um, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Hmm. That doesn't seem to be teaching me that I can learn how to discern the work of the Holy Spirit through my feelings. Um, so, Let's back things up here a little bit, and we'll add some context to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29. And let's see here. Um, yeah, uh, where do I want to start here? I'm going to start at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Okay, so we're going to read lots of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 here to test to see if chapter 11 verse 29 is teaching us that we can receive discernment of the works of working of the spirit and word of knowledge type of healing things in our ovaries will hurt if we're men uh, through our feelings okay see if that's what this is teaching I, here we go second corinthians chapter 11 verse 1 i wish you would bear with me a little foolishness do bear with me for i feel a divine jealousy for you since i betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to christ but i'm afraid that as the serpent deceived eve by his cunning your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to christ okay so second corinthians 11 is talking is basically a warning to the corinthians that they're being they may be being led astray by the cunning of the serpent by satan 
uh, away from a pure and sincere devotion to Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims to you another Jesus than the one that we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And he's not commending them for this. He's rebuking them. So here Paul is warning us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's warning us about different Jesuses, different spirits, and different gospels, which are not salvific. These are, these are things that uh, Christians can be deceived and led away from by the cunning of Satan. And then he continues, Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these so-called super-apostles. So he's talking against the super-apostles who were undermining the biblical gospel. He says, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burn in anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? Well, God knows that I do love you. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms that we do. So here Paul is speaking in order to undermine the claims of the super apostles. For such men are false apostles. They are deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, and their end will correspond to their deeds." Now I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do if you do accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise, of course, yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. Well, to my shame, I say we were too weak for any of that. Now, isn't it weird here that Paul's description of the super apostles and the behavior sounds a lot like megachurch pastors, doesn't it? We continue. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? Well, so am I. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I am better. I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At a night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship 
uh, through many a sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now that, folks, was all of Second Corinthians chapter 11, including verse 29. And when I put it back in context, was it saying that God the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you in a way that he's going to cause you to feel things in your physical body uh, that, uh, you know, like you, you, like you men out there, you know, at a healing service, you're going to have your, your ovaries are going to hurt uh, if there's a woman in the audience whose ovaries hurt. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 29 doesn't say that at all. And to make it say that is to twist God's word. And to mangle it, you know, as the new phrase we've been employing as a result of a suggestion from a good listener, is that what we're hearing here is textual harassment. So why should I believe that God the Holy Spirit is speaking through Matt Sorger, who's telling us all these stories about, you know, how God the Holy Spirit made him feel this and that and the other thing. He's teaching people about discernment. And yet when I exercise biblical discernment and test his claims according to Scripture, I find that he's twisting God's word. He sounds a lot like those deceitful workmen who masquerade as as teachers of Christ but actually are nothing less than wolves. But let's continue. He says this is another verse that teaches that God, the Holy Spirit, wants to make you feel things. And, you know, you men, your ovaries are going to hurt when you, um, you know, if there's a woman who has this type of an issue in the audience. Second Corinthians eleven twenty nine and second Corinthians seven, verse nine. Mm, those those passages, second Corinthians seven, verse nine also teaches this. OK, well, let's take a look at second Corinthians chapter seven. Verse 9, I'll read it out of context. Here's what it says. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Doesn't sound to me like 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 has anything whatsoever to do with um, feeling your ovaries hurting as a man. Hmm. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'll start at verse 1. Let's add some context. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said that before you are in our hearts to die together and live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you, and I am filled with comfort in our affliction, and I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still the more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I did do not did not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. He's talking about the letter that we know was 1 Corinthians. In there, he told the Corinthians to cast out the impenitent sinner from among them, uh, the man who was um, sleeping with his father's wife. Okay, 
And so, you know, he, he, what he said grieved them. According to Second Corinthians, they were grieved. Well, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter." So now we've got two verses that Matt Sorger says teaches us that men can have their ovaries hurting uh, in, while they're receiving uh, words of knowledge regarding other people's ailments, and neither of those passages say anything of the sort. What does that make Matt Sorger? A false prophet. Is God the Holy Spirit speaking through him? Not at all. And you do not have to be a cessationist to say that Matt Sorger doesn't pass the test of Scripture, and it doesn't matter how many charismatic signs and wonders he uh, makes mention of, claims to have received, claims to be in the midst of, he is not, not receiving any of his information from God the Holy Spirit. He is disqualified biblically as a teacher and is shown to be a wolf. But let's continue. Second Corinthians eleven twenty nine and Second Corinthians 7, verse 9. Um, yeah, so that's always fun when, uh, you're, you're praying and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, Oh, there's all these pains in your body. Praise God. But, uh, yeah. So a third way of getting discernment or word of knowledge is by hearing it. John five thirty and Matthew ten twenty seven. How much do you want to bet if I gave you the homework assignment going to John chapter 5, verse 30, and Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, that it's not teaching that you're going to receive words of knowledge by hearing it? Well, let's continue. John five thirty and Matthew ten twenty seven, And, you know, you hear out of your spirit, but it's processed through your mind. And, you know, it could start with general things like depression, suicide, loneliness, rejection. You know, you just hear a word, cancer, tumor. Back, you know, back, liver, whatever, kidney. You know, you hear that, but you can press in for more accurate discernment. If you, if you hear something, you hear a word, or you can ask the Lord dialogue with him. Ask him. Say, God, well, um, is it a man or a woman? Uh, how old are they, God? Um, how long has it been there? When did it show up? You know, and as you enter into dialogue with the Holy Spirit, he can then fine-tune discernment and make it more specific for you. Now, the interesting thing is is that what we're doing here with this exercise of testing his message and testing what he's saying, we're actually exercising discernment. What he's talking about has absolutely nothing to do with discernment, and those people who are listening to him and believing him are showing that they are not being discerning. Uh, you get discernment, fourthly, by seeing it. Seeing it. John 1, 47 and 48. Yeah, how much you want to bet if you go to John one forty seven and forty eight and John five nineteen through twenty, it, none of these passages are teaching anything regarding so called discernment and hearing d- promises of direct revelation given to you. Okay, I've already demonstrated that uh, what he's saying is absolute nonsense, but the nonsense is going to get worse. John one forty seven and forty eight and John five nineteen and twenty. John one forty seven forty eight and John five nineteen twenty. So you discern by seeing. 
And, uh, you know, this, this happens on several levels. And I think it's important that we clarify the whole seeing dimension. Notice he hasn't read any of the passages. He just gives you a verse reference and that he just continues on. He's not exegeting anything. Another bad sign. Because sometimes people uh, project or they, they um, you know, they reflect a seeing dimension, but there are different levels of seeing. Uh, one level is what I call a sanctified imagination. A sanctified imagination where you see it in the realm of your mind, in the realm of your imagination. Uh, you know, God does speak to us through the imagination. And the more sanctified your imagination becomes, the more clear it is for the Holy Spirit to use it to give you images and pictures and, and uh, vision. And, and what verse says that? None of the verses you've cited say that. Weird, huh? We continue. That area, um, it's the area of the mind where you see images and pictures. And uh, the Holy Spirit can really communicate to you uh, in your imagination. But there are times where you literally see with your eyes open. You know, a trance or a vision that's different from um, a sanctified imagination revelation. Uh, so just understand the difference. There are different different ways like that. Okay, five, uh, you can get discernment or even word of knowledge by dreaming it. By dreaming it. Acts 2.17. Now, by the way. God can reveal things to you in dreams, but he doesn't promise to do this. We should not be expecting anything of this, of this type. And if you're following after your dreams, Scripture warns us about people who are false teachers who are following after their dreams. In Matthew 2.12, Acts 2.17 and Matthew 2.12, you could dream it. Sometimes God gives you discernment in a dream. I remember um, a moment when I was in Bible school, and I dreamt of another student in a rage of anger in my dream. But I had never seen this student angry. So I thought it was really weird that I was dreaming of him in this rage. Well, it was just shortly after that, that a circumstance arose and he went into a rage. And uh, it was something that was underneath the surface, something that was pushed down on the inside of him. Uh, but given the right circumstance, it manifested. And the Lord was revealing it to me in a dream, uh, showing it to me. Now, I want to just touch on the purpose of discernment, but the sixth way is to smell it. And Revelation 8, 3 and 4, and 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and through 16. Revelation 8, 3 through 4. And notice again, he's not reading any of these passages. Again, do your homework. Go take a look at these passages in context. I showed you how to do it with the first two. So uh, it, it does um, Revelation 8, verses 3 through 4, and 2 Corinthians two fourteen through 16 teach us that God can give us uh, direct revelation, revelatory discernment via smells. Mm-hmm. A smell. Mm-hmm. And 2 Corinthians two fourteen to 16, um, you can get discernment through a sense of smell. Like how I was sharing earlier when I walked into my grandmother's room and I smelled sulfur. Uh, there are times where this has happened where you get a discernment by actually smelling the presence of that demonic spirit. And it's not a natural, it's not a natural, um, it's not something in the natural, it's something in the, it really is something in the spirit realm. But God is allowing you to become aware of it by smelling it. Uh, so, so, yeah, we'll kind of end off there. 
Um, was he actually exegeting any passages? No. Is he claiming to have all this direct revelation via dreams, sights, sounds, and smells? Apparently now we got super, uh, super natural olfactory um, type stuff going on uh, that you know, God the Holy Spirit is teaching this in the Bible. No, he's not. He is not uh, promising anything of the sort. And uh, Matt Sorger, although he claims to be operating in signs and wonders and direct revelations and teaching discernment, none of it actually passes the real sniff test. And that test has nothing to do with your olfactory senses. It has everything to do with you opening up your Bible and comparing his message to what God's Word says in context. And you don't have to be a cessationist to see this. And the fact of the matter is this, the vast majority of the superstars, video people, and all that type of stuff within the charismatic movement, none of them can stand up to biblical scrutiny once you open up your Bible to see if what they're saying is actually true. And over again, what do they do? They're drawing away the disciples after themselves. They're not pointing us to Christ. They're not pointing us to our Bibles. They're pointing us away from our Bibles, pointing us away from Christ, and pointing us to themselves, which is the classic sign that you're dealing with somebody who is a false teacher, a false prophet, and a wolf sent by Satan, not somebody sent by God the Holy Spirit. In the next segment after this break, we'll kind of give you a, a, the quintessential example of that um, from somebody we, I don't think we've reviewed before here, but we'll probably be making more appearances on Fighting for the Faith. So stay tuned if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, a master bishop prophet Manasseh update. That's what we'll be talking about, and uh, as well as a Los Lobos update. I'll explain on the other side of the break. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. You have reached the voice mailbox for Melissa Fisher. Please leave a message after the tone. When finished, you may press one for more options. Hi, Melissa. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, I was wondering if you could help me out. I'm, I'm trying to uh, you know, get a hold of a guy named Vincent. That I, I can't remember his last name. This guy wants me to make myself real in his life, but I can't find his address or his phone number or email. The world is so complicated. You know how hard it is to find somebody if you can't remember their last name? Do you know how many Vincents there are in the world? 
he's he said that he would leave his sin behind if I could just you know somehow reach out to him and prove that I'm real. So if you can make one of your really fancy videos and tell him that I'm calling him by name, but don't tell him that I can't remember his last name. I, I really would appreciate it. Oh, and uh, one more thing. You might want to mention something about his adventurous heart. That way he'll know that the message is for him. Thanks, Melissa. I, you know, I don't know what I'd do without you. Hey everyone, this word is for Vincent. Vincent, the Lord calls you by your name and he is making himself known to you today. Now that he has made himself known to you, remember what you said. You said, Lord, if you would call me, if you would make yourself real, that I would come and I would leave, absolutely leave all of it behind and come to you because you've been wavering between two opinions. Now here it is. Vincent, the Lord is calling you. Come to him. The life is better on this side. Believe me, give up the unfruitful works of darkness and walk completely in the light. And I tell you, Vincent, you won't be sorry. The Lord is ready to show you a mighty, mighty adventure. That adventurous heart that you have, the Lord is going to really, really reach in and and he's going to satisfy that heart in you. And it's going to be even more than you ever could have planned on your best day. So, Vincent, come to the Lord. Wait no longer. Vacillate between two opinions no longer. The holiday travel season is now upon us. It came out of nowhere, didn't it? But listen, despite the fact that it comes up so quick, the last thing you want to do is pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. That's why you want to utilize Pirate Christian Radio's longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, for all of your holiday travel needs. Visit our website first, though, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and you'll find a promo code there that'll help you save an additional $15 off the cheapo airs already low prices right down the promo code then click on the ad banner and book your holiday travel uh, arrangements uh, using their website very easy to use very inexpensive you save an additional $15 and by visiting our website first and then writing down that promo code a portion of your purchase will go to support pirate christian radio so again piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap write down the promo code code click on the ad banner and save lots of money on your holiday travel needs yeah! Hooray! that was a great happy birthday song okay charlie time to open up your presents all right grandpa uh, let's see what we have here oh Yay! I've always wanted... It's a Star Trek uniform! But it's red. What are you trying to say? It was the only colored wool fabric I had. Try it on! It's, uh, really itchy. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about Think Geek, 
at ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with so-called prophets, seers, and visionary dreamers, and people who smell discernment. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. It's a partnership. If you don't already support us and you find that Fighting for the Faith is helping you grow in your discernment, how to spot people who are twisting God's word, and you're beginning to learn sound biblical doctrine or have been learning sound biblical doctrine as a result of listening to Fighting for the Faith, then consider supporting us because without your support, we can't keep doing what we're doing in order to reach people to warn them about the false prophets, false teachers, and people who are making merchandise of them uh, all in the name of Jesus. So the way you support us is by visiting our website, Fighting for the Faith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It is a great way to support us. And of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Okay, moving along, we're going to be starting uh, you know, today um, what I'm going to be generally calling Los Lobos updates, okay? And so uh, we actually have Los Lobos update music. It's short, sweet, and to the point. And of course, it's from the 80s because, you know, I grew up in the 80s. But so uh, here's kind of our, our first installment of a Los Lobos update, and we kind of have a twofer today. So we have, um, we have, uh, Bishop, uh, Master Prophet Bishop Jordan that uh, we'll be starting this off with here. And then uh, after that, uh, we will be uh, moving along to John Bevere. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Yes, it was kind of a Los Lobos twin spin, if you would. So here's our Los Lobos update music. Here we go. That's right. That's our Los Lobos update music. And uh, here is our first ever uh, review of um, Master Bishop, uh, sorry, Master Prophet Bishop Jordan. And um, this is from his, um, uh, how do I put this, infomercial television program called The Power of Prophecy. 
And uh, I, from what I gather, um, Master Prophet Bishop Bernard Jordan is the father of Manasseh Jordan, and uh, and he's basically making a whole bunch of little false prophets and spend, spreading them around the world, if you would, in order to fleece Christ's sheep. And uh, and so this is a guy who preys on people, P-R-E-Y-S, and um, makes merchandise of them. But as I play this video, um, we'll, we'll start from the beginning of the power of prophecy, and this, this particular is in, installment is entitled, why do people need to get the prophetic word? Okay, why why do they need to get the prophetic word from you know from prophets like <clears throat> uh, Master Prophet um, Bishop Manasseh uh, Bishop Bernard Jordan? Well, notice here as we play this video who he's pointing us to and who's the bee's knees. Is is it Jesus? No, <laughs> silly you! You think these guys are about Jesus? No, they're not. They're just hijacking the name of Jesus and drawing away the disciples after themselves, which is what Scripture warns us about. So without any further ado, here's the Power of Prophecy infomercial on why do people need the prophetic word from prophets. Here we go. Praise the Lord. I'm Master Prophet Ibrahim Jordan, your most trusted name in prophecy. Master Prophet, he said you're going to sustain that housing situation, and I'm still in my house right now today. Yeah, who knew there's prophets and master prophets? He's the most trusted name in Bible prophecy out there. He's not just a prophet. He's a master prophet. Okay. That my son will be released, and he was found not guilty. I want you to know that a prophetic word is waiting to happen for you. And all the prophecies have been true. The prophetic comes to your life to bring change and to turn you around and to cause you to walk into a new destiny. If you're looking for the most trusted voice in prophecy, it's Bishop E. Bernard Jordan. No one moves in history without a prophetic seer that helps them walk their way. One word from the prophet can save your life. Those higher principles that he was taught by Bishop Jordan govern my life as well as his. The prophet of prophets, the thinker of thinkers. I thank the bishop for his work, and I thank him for his insight. Boy, we're hearing a lot about Master Prophet E. Bernard Jordan. Not hearing anything about Jesus, are we? Let's continue. They begin to say things to me that only I knew. I said, oh, God, I conceive that thing. Not receive it, but I conceive it. My name is Master Prophet Ibn R. Jordan. Welcome to the world of the power of prophecy. Welcome to the power of prophecy. I'm your host, Master Prophet Ibn R. Jordan, and my son, Prophet Joshua Nathaniel Jordan. Oh, his son's a prophet, too. Wow, Joshua Nathaniel Jordan. Okay. And by the way, there's a little crawl along the bottom here, and you can actually call an 800 number for your free prophecy. And I will not be sharing that with you because the last thing I want to do is turn you over to a wolf. But just so you know, they're, you, know they have, you, you, you can get a free prophecy just by calling an 800 number. What does this remind me of? Oh, yeah, Miss Cleo. But we continue. Welcome to the power of prophecy. It is good being here today. Prophet Joshua People are going to be blessed in this telecast, won't they? Oh, yes and yes, Master Prophet, beyond belief. Oh, yes and yes, Master Prophet. Is he your sensei, Prophet? I mean, what is this? Amen. And I want you to know the power of prophecy is coming alive to you right now. Now, these are some of the things that have been said by the partner. He picked up on things right away. I can't wait to see and meet the new person that is coming into my life soon. I truly appreciate the prophetic insight that came into my life. Would you give him a, a prophetic tea reading? 
man, so quickly. Today, I want to say to you, you need to get the prophecy that's right for your life. Prophet Joshua, why do people need to get the prophetic word for their life right now? You know, Master Prophet, the prophetic word is just something that's just so key. It's so informative. It begins to put the person inside of a time of knowing, Master Prophet. And the prophet begins to let the individual know of the things to come. And the Bible says in Second Chronicles 20, 20, and as they went forth into the wilderness of Tekor, and as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said to the children of Israel, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. But if you believe in the prophets, so shall ye prosper. You know, Master Prophet, the question... Yeah, yeah see, here's the thing. I actually believe in the prophets. Mm-hmm. I do. But see, their names are like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah. You get what I'm saying? Daniel. Um, even Moses was a prophet. I do believe in the prophets. Oh, yes, most certainly I do. And I believe that God spoke by the prophets. I do not believe that that master prophet E. Bernard Jordan is a prophet, nor do I believe that his son, Joshua, is a prophet. You know, so, um, yeah, if you're going to claim to be a prophet, you actually have to be, like I said, quarantined. And you, we need to do kind of like an IRS level audit of all your doctrine and theology to see if uh, you're actually a real prophet or a false prophet before we would let you loose on the body of Christ. You know what I'm saying? We continue. To the viewers today is, are they ready to prosper? My goodness. Are they ready to prosper? So these prophets are ready to help you prosper? Hmm. With that Chronicles passage taken out of context? Yeah, I don't think so. When we begin to think about this, what will connecting with the power of prophecy do it will help you understand your purpose understanding your life understanding your relationship understanding your career and the power of prophecy will highlight your abilities i want you to call the number on the screen right now so we can send you the prophetic word all about your life the power of prophecy will eliminate your curiosity yeah, this sounds like the power of astrology or the power of, um, you know, fortune telling or this. This is not prophecy that you're that you're shell, uh, shilling for here. This is something different. The power of prophecy will cause you to increase your learning about yourself. The power of prophecy will bring you to a brand new situation. The power of learning about myself. Notice he's promising me purpose and vision and a career and relationships. Isn't this the exact same thing that like Rick Warren and all the megachurch pastors also offer advice and help on, you know, and, and they, you know, of course are willing to offer that type of relevant life changing advice for, you know, a uh, 10% of my gross annual income. I'm sure uh, what you're asking for um, <clears throat> master prophet uh, E. Bernard Jordan, I'm sure whatever you're asking will be at least commensurate with, with, you know, 10% of somebody's gross um, annual income, right? And the power of prophecy will awaken your ability to love and to love again. Prophet Joshua, what would you say to the viewers right now as to why they need to connect with a prophet? You know what, Master Prophet, I'm just so reminded of what the Bible begins to say that when it says, 
that he'll pour his spirit out upon flesh and your old men shall see dreams and your young men shall see visions. And you know, Master Prophet, it's so important for the people of God to be in the know, to know what's happening. It's so important to be in the know, yet you just completely twisted. That was, that. by the way, that prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. If you're not familiar with it, just read Acts chapter 2. And so I'm sorry, but uh, neither the prophet nor when his prophecy was fulfilled on Pentecost is it saying that we need to get in touch with prophets so that we can be in the know. Again, what these men are selling is uh, basically Christianized fortune-telling, astrology, and that's not what prophecy is. Happening ...to know what God's will is for their life. And, you know, Master Prophet, when an individual has a prophet in their life, you know, they experience that overflow. I was reminded of the Shunammite woman who began to give uh, in obedience to what the prophet had said. And Note how um, <laughs> a prophet Joshua here is trying to kind of like prime the pump and create the expectation that if you want something from the prophets, you better be willing to give something to them. Uh-huh. Yeah, these are prophets for money, if you would. We continue. And that woman began to experience an overflow while the rest of the children were going in the midst of a famine. Amen. And I want you to know that your family... Is he referring to the widow of Zarephath? Really? Um, yeah. Boy, that's a twisting of that story. And can end today. Because the power of prophecy will increase your life in many areas, in the areas of development, your memory, and bring you solutions. Oh, yeah. So do you need solutions and better memory? You need to pay a prophet to help you uh, achieve that. The power of prophecy will show you your ally. And Prophet Joshua, sometimes people are walking with the wrong people, and if they walk with the wrong people, they have wrong results. Is that correct? Oh, yes, and yes, Master Prophet. And so the power of prophecy will give you the ability and cause you to move with spontaneity. The power of prophecy will... Yeah, do you need to move with spontaneity? Well, nothing's more spontaneous than, you know, first paying a prophet and then getting the inside scoop so that then you can act spontaneously. Mm -hmm. Create awareness. The power of prophecy will bring you pleasure, trust, caring, and resolve conflict. Yeah, not Jesus. No, not him. No, no, the, the, the prophet, master prophet, E. Bernard Jordan, and, you know, and the, his prophet network of people who will, you know, give you cold tea leaf readings in the name of Jesus. You know, that'll help. Yeah, uh-huh. So are you ready to connect with a prophet today? No. Because a prophet is ready to connect with you. Yeah, I don't think they're prophets. From what I've seen of your mishandling of God's word and your son's mishandling of God's word, you guys are false prophets. Prophet Joshua, tell them what they need to do before we go to these announcements and testimonies of people that have connected with the power of prophecy. Uh, well, people of God, call in your seed now. And you can call... Do you want me to do what? Call in my what now? Call in my seed now. I'm not a farmer. Call it in now at 212-316-2177. Again, that number is 212 Seven, seven, and remember that destiny is not left up to chance, but it is a matter of choice. And when you do a $52 faith seed today. Ah, so $52 faith seed. Uh, yeah, see? Yeah, you just do that. You know, and you know, then you can you know, tap into the power of the prophets. I will connect you with a prophet today that would get on the phone line with you in just a few moments. So this is going to be amazing. Stay tuned. Yeah. Amazing for you and a fleecing for the person on the other end of the line. 
We'll be right back after these announcements. And you are tuned in to the power of prophecy. Uh huh. So just send in your $52 seed right now and you can get connected with a prophet and you can spontaneously learn about your future and learn how to prosper. All it's going to cost you is 52 bucks. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Can you say the word fleecing? Because that's exactly uh, what that was. Um, if you, you see, and here's the deal. The fact that they were mishandling God's word so badly um, proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're not really hearing from God. Uh, in fact, that you know they're not hearing from God at all. They are false prophets. And again, you don't have to be a cessationist to spot them. You just have to have an open Bible and be aware that the false prophets, they point people to themselves, not Jesus. They point people away from a right reading of God's word, not to a sound, good, exegetical reading of God's word. And, of course, they're always in it for a cost. Yeah, lots and lots. Just send in your $52 seed offering so that we can get the prophets to work in your behalf so that you can have your prosperous future ahead. Uh Uh-huh false prophet. And again, you don't have to be a cessationist to believe it or to understand it or to get that what they're saying is absolutely not in line at all with what God the Holy Spirit teaches. But those people who are not cessationists, um, they are the ones who are most susceptible to these types of scams in the name of the Almighty God. Talking about scams, um, here's our Los Lobos twin spin. Here's um, John Bevere of Messenger International. And uh, this is a guy who claims to be receiving direct revelations from God as well. He's well-connected within the uh, Word of Faith movement, charismatic movement, and the Hillsong folks down in Australia. And, um, And here's him, basically what I would say, um, giving a message about talking about going after your children. But there's some fascinating things that he says along the way, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of stick it out for a little bit. Uh, here's John Bevere in his uh, message entitled Give and Take. Here we go. It's a great privilege for me to come here and speak the Word of God to you. Um, I have such a deep, deep respect for the men and women of God that have held true to the integrity of God's Word in our country. One of my greatest concerns, because, you know, Lisa and I, we are in churches all over the world, and um, we're in a vast different amount of streams of churches, okay? And in 20 years of traveling all over the world, we have been in about every kind of church you can think of. But the thing that I have such a great, great burden for in my heart right now is the fact that we are a nation right now as far as the people of God that is really driven by inspiration rather than transformation. Uh, we will we will get a crowd in America right now if we'll inspire them. But the problem is we can inspire them from the newspaper article last Sunday or from a coaching manual. And what we've got to have in our nation is transformation. Can you say amen to that? Um, I think the awareness really hit me um, a couple days ago. I just did another curriculum of the newest book that I've just written called Extraordinary. And it's the life you're meant to live. And to be very honest with you, it's just a book on the grace of God and faith. That's that's the book. And, um, you know, there were a lot of young people in that curriculum taping and I had young people call me and say, my life will never, ever, ever be the same. I believe that this young generation is one of the greatest generations I have ever seen. And, um, you know, I've, I've been in ministry for 25 years and, you know, I've seen lots of young generations, but this is a hero generation. And my wife was just speaking at the Hillsong Women's Conference down in um, Australia. And one of the speakers down there brought a message that was quite interesting to me. But I guess there's a secular company that has done studies. And they've actually used the Bible to do this study. 
but they've used many other sources. But they say the Bible is one of the best documented um, books to do the study on. But they said history of mankind has gone in 80-year cycles. And uh, what they say is, is that you go through the cycle of the builders. Then you go through the cycle of the people that spoil what has been given to them. And then you go through the cycle of the heroes that deliver them out of the problems that they brought them to through through the spoiling time. Right? So what is this study again? And, uh, and it's weird use of the Bible. So this is something that supposedly is a Bible-ish type of teaching? Hmm, I'm very suspicious, extremely suspicious, because nowhere in the Bible does it talk about 80-year cycles. Um, yet, supposedly, this independent study group has used the Bible to prove this thing out. Hmm. I'd like to see that study. Isn't it weird that he doesn't name it? Saying, you know, I look at my generation when I was young. Uh, we were in the late 70s and the 80s, and uh, we were very much of a selfish me, I generation. And we had a great message that was brought to our generation. But what I'm seeing is because we were a very selfish generation, uh, we were very much concerned about, you know, how big was our house? How big was our plane? How big was our car? What happened was... That's weird. In the 80s, I didn't have a plane. And neither did I have a plane in the 90s or in the um, in the aughts. And I still don't have a plane. Um, you know, how big is it? Well, it's it's. It, I have a toy, you know, that uh, my grandson has that looks like an airplane. Does that count? A prime opportunity to use what we got to really take the world. Now, the thing that I'm seeing in this young generation is they want nothing to do with that. They want to be a part of something much bigger than themselves. I've never seen a generation like this in my entire life before. So what I saw the other night when I preached just the simple message of faith is I saw this generation just go ballistic because they got the tools to go along with the passion that they have to reach this world. Are you with me? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're speaking nonsense. And um, so I want to encourage you if there's ever been a time, because I have talked to some of the the uh, people that understand the integrity of the Word of God. And if there's ever been a time where I believe our nation needs us, the people that really believe in the Word, it's right now. There's a beautiful interaction here, but I want to encourage you to get outside of your circles. Please listen to me, okay? Uh, Because there are a lot of people that need what you guys have. That's a good place to say amen. All right? I'll help some of you right now. Um, You know, one of the things that I believe that I've learned in, in years because I, God would put me in some very uncomfortable places. And, um, the thing that I learned was, is that we know in part, and we prophesy in part. And one day the, the, the realization hit me is that I need the parts that I don't have. And I said, all right, God, if you want, then you can send me wherever you want. And boy, he started sending me places. And I, and I started going in, not going in thinking I've got something to give to them. I went in thinking, what do they have to give to me? And what am I supposed to give to them? Because we are servants. Are you understanding what I'm saying? We are servants. And uh, people would start calling. This is like a litany of nonsense. Um, can you make a biblical point, please? He comes speaking. I think, <laughs> I, 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 I don't understand their circles. I don't run with their people. And yet, I'd sit down with these people and find out some of the most lovely, beautiful Christian people. But yet, they may not have the same flow as I do. But they've got a part that I didn't have. And so I'm kind of starting to think, you know, in this, now see, I'm not seeing this with this young generation. They don't care. If you, if you, if Jesus Christ is Lord and he's the son of God, then you're my brother and sister. Then we've got something in common. Let's talk. You understand what I'm saying?
And so, you know, the interesting thing to me is, is that God, when he talks about what he's doing fresh in the earth, he starts with sons and daughters. Are you listening to me? What are you talking about? Now, some of the freshest moves of God that I'm seeing right now in the earth, all involved, the majority of them are with sons and daughters. Lisa and I go down to Australia quite a bit. And uh, what's happening in Australia is just mind-blowing. But I go into these humongous churches, and yes, there are a lot of great businessmen and women in these churches, and they're older, and they're in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. But you know what? I'm seeing that about 70% of them are under 30. And I'm starting starting to realize that God spoke when he said in Acts chapter 2, your sons and daughters. He spoke about them first. And so, yeah, again, you're twisting the uh, the prophecy of the same, well, similarly to what we heard uh, uh, prophet, <clears throat> um, uh, you know, Joshua Jordan doing. And uh, that was a twist, and you're twisting it too. Weird here. Yeah, again, nothing exegetical. He's not actually preaching the text. He's just, rip, you know, noting something in there that you're supposed to remember with a closed Bible. Just right on the onset tonight, and I wasn't going to say this too much later, but it's just in my heart. Please, I'm asking you, I want to say this first, while your mind's freshest, start praying and believing God how you will be able to reach out and touch the 15 to 35-year-olds. Jesus, 11 of the 12 disciples, when he chose them, were under 20 years of age. Peter was the only one over 20. Um, where in the Bible does it mention the ages of the, um, of the disciples and the apostles? It doesn't that I'm aware of. How many moms, you know, will take their sons up to their boss and say, let this one sit on your right. And this one sit on your left. They won't, she won't do that with her 35 and 36 year old, but she will do that with her 18 and 19 year old. What? Again, this is a complete twisting of God's word. And we're going to get to direct revelation shortly. Let's keep listening. That's exactly what James and John's mother did. Are you with me? That's exactly what Lennon did. He said, give me 17 young men that will give themselves to me and what I'm teaching more than anything else, even their families, and I will change this world. And as of the late 80s, he had one-third of this world converted to his religion. Jesus chose young people. God always went after young people in the Bible. If you look at Jeremiah 16, when he gets the call of God on his life, are you following me? And so what I'm saying is, I'm, I'm speaking to a bunch of ministers tonight, and I wish I had a week with you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Go after the young. There are two things that I did in our, there, actually there's three things that I did in our ministry that God just literally caused our ministry to explode. Okay, so, all right. So what are the three things that you did that then God caused your ministry to explode because you did them? I mean, explode. First thing that I did is I began to honor my wife and I began to promote my wife into the area in which she was called in. Yeah, in other words, he's talking about women pastrixes. The Bible forbids this specifically, but watch what he does. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. Um, when I did that, God began to bless our ministry like I'd never seen before. You know, there are still some people that think that only men can lead in the church. And I think that's very, very sad because they've taken a few scriptures and not really studied it out thoroughly. Uh, Really? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Watch what he's... So he's he's now a biblical scholar here. Oh, they've taken a few scriptures. You know, like, uh, you know, don't let a woman teach. Um, You know, that an elder has to be the husband of one wife. You know, that kind of stuff. That's very specific about the fact that the pastoral ministry belongs to men, not to women. 
Okay, God's word couldn't be clearer on this. Okay, but of course, those poor those poor guys. They it's it's like the people who say that homosexuality is a sin. You know that uh, you know they just take those seven clobber verses and they just haven't really studied it out thoroughly. Same argument that he's the same type of argument. Listen in, of course. He's arguing from his experience. God caused our ministry to explode as soon as I started recognizing the calling upon my wife to be a pastor. That's what he's saying. To keep women, you know, in a subservient place in the church. I say if God's place is gift and his anointing on somebody, let him serve in the church. Amen. God would never put the anointing or teaching gift on a woman to be a pastor because his word specifically forbids it. And God, the Holy Spirit, is the author of scripture, all of it. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, but wait a minute, John. Paul was very gender specific when he said that let the elder be the husband of one wife. Correct? Well, can we talk about this just for a moment? All right. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I can't wait to hear your argument. How many women in the Old Testament do you know that had more than one husband? There- what are you talking about? You have lots of men that had more than one wives. But you cannot name one woman in God's covenant people that had more than one husband. So why would Paul need to write that she has to be the wife of one husband? Oh, I see. See, the only reason, according to John Bevere, is is that the reason why God, the Holy Spirit, revealed that a pastor, an elder, is to be the husband of one wife is because it's a given that that women only have one husband. And so it didn't even need to be mentioned. This, by the way, is called an argument from silence. And by the way, how many of Jesus' 12 disciples were women? Answer, none. None, not one. Okay. How many of the apostles were women? Answer, none, not one. Okay. And there's clear passages that say that a woman is not to be an authority and teach over a man, that they, she is to be, remain silent in church. This is what Scripture says. Okay. But his argument is an argument from silence. Oh, well, you see, there was never, there's, women have never been known to be married to more than one guy. Uh-huh. I can name uh, women in uh, the New Testament as well as the Old Testament who had uh, more than one husband. For instance, okay, um, Abigail, the uh, the wife of Nabal, um, she was married to both uh, Nabal, and then after he died, uh, she was married to hmm, David. Weird. Um, then you've got Bathsheba. She was married to, oh, that's right, Uriah the Hittite, and then she was later married to... Um, Solomon, I mean, sorry, King David. Weird, isn't that? You know, just just a couple right off the bat. And then you think of that woman who had five husbands. Uh, you know, the the uh, the woman in Samaria, mm-hmm. and then the guy she was living with wasn't even her husband. Yeah. So it, you, this argument just completely falls flat with just a little bit of biblical knowledge. But let's continue. If you really want to be that dogmatic about it. If the elder has to be the husband of one wife, then Paul just eliminated himself because he was a single man. Um, actually, no, that's not how that works. The whole point about being the husband of one wife it doesn't say that you must be married in order to be a pastor or an elder. No. It, the idea is, is that you need to be somebody who is not sexually immoral. Okay? Uh, that's the idea. So you can be celibate and you can be a pastor. You can be married and be a pastor. And let me rock a few people's worlds here because from time to time I get these emails. Um, If a pastor is a widower, okay, uh, his wife 
died, he can get remarried and still be a pastor. Why? Because once his wife has died, he's no longer um, you know, bound by the marriage vows. So the whole point of that, you know, husband of one wife thing has to do with sexual morality. Now, also, you can say if a wife abandons a man who is a pastor and she goes and cheats on him and and she commits adultery and leaves the marriage, um, he also has biblical grounds for divorce and he can remarry and still be a pastor. Okay, that 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 passage about being the husband of one wife is really talking about sexual purity but well john bevere here he his his ministry has taken off like rockets and god the holy spirit speaks to him directly and has blessed him because he has made his wife a pastrix (laughs) are you with me no cause the blessing of god to come on our ministry in a huge way is when I started really going after the youth. All right, I'm going to stop there. You, you kind of get what I'm saying here. This is another guy who's in the uh, the charismatic movement, mainstream portion of the charismatic movement. Um, and um, this is a man who literally twists God's word. Should we believe that he hears anything from God the Holy Spirit? The answer is we should believe that he's a false prophet and a false teacher because he twists God's word and that he does not at, at all hear anything from God the Holy Spirit, nor should we believe that his his ministry was blessed because he has decided to make his wife a pastrix. Um, this is a man who's arguing from silence, arguing from experience, and not arguing from clear passages. Sure sign of a false prophet, false teacher, and a man who's not hearing from God the Holy Spirit. You get what I'm saying? And again, you do not have to be a cessationist to spot it. You just have to have an open Bible and know what your scriptures see, say and teach. All right, we are up on our second break. We're running a little late. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. A candidate for probably one of the worst Christmas sermons ever preached. And again, it's from Potential Church. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The holiday travel season is now upon us. It came out of nowhere, didn't it? But listen, despite the fact that it comes up so quick, the last thing you want to do is pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. That's why you want to utilize Pirate Christian Radio's longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, for all of your holiday travel needs. Visit our website first, though, piratechristianradio.com forward slash 
cheap. And you'll find a promo code there that'll help you save an additional $15 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Write down the promo code, then click on the ad banner and book your holiday travel uh, arrangements uh, using their website. Very easy to use, very inexpensive. You save an additional $15. And by visiting our website first and then writing down that promo code, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. So again, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save lots of money on your holiday travel needs. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted two tin cans and a string. It's one of those communicated devicey thingies. Now you can talk to your friends of a long... Ow. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Heading back down to Potential Church for what may be the worst Christmas sermon ever delivered in the history of Christendom. Yeah, no joke. Here we go. The good, the bad, and the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon, Christmas sermon, comes to us via Potential Church in Cooper City, Florida. Their youth pastor, Scott Mendenhall, presiding. I hope you're sitting down because you're going to need to be sitting down. The name of the sermon series is entitled Go Elf Yourself. I'm not making that up. That's the name of the sermon series. And the name of the sermon delivered by Scott Mendenhall is entitled Change the World. So put it all together. It's Go Elf Yourself, Change the World. I know, it's just an absolute mess. In fact, we're just going to have to get right into it. There is no proper way to prepare you for what you were about to hear from Potential Church. They're no longer a church. They're just a church in Potentia. And this is getting him farther and farther away from that goal of actually becoming a church again. So, 
Let me kill the music. And without any further ado, here is Scott Mendenhall and his sermon entitled, Go Elf Yourself, Change the World. Here we go. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing fabulous this morning. I hope you don't have a uh, Thanksgiving hangover too much, you know, too much turkey, kind of makes you sluggish. I hope you guys had a great holiday, excited to be hanging out with you guys. Those are online and at our campuses as well. As Pastor Troy said, my name is Scott Mendenhall. For the last six years, I've had the privilege and honor to be the student pastor here and wouldn't change one thing about it. I've absolutely loved the last six years. Uh, my wife and my family, we moved down here. Uh, I, we have four kids with the fifth one on the way. And immediately you have a series, <laughs> clapping. You're like, that poor woman, that's what those claps are for, right? Now, that poor woman of yours. And then you immediately go to like a couple questions, right? Like your first one is, do you own a TV? Yes, we do. We own one. One for the house. There's not one in the bedroom. So we'll be taking donations up for uh, a TV in the bedroom. So maybe that kind of fixes some of the problems. And also you have the other question that people pose to us when they find out that we have so many children. Do you know how, what, what creates kids? And yes, I do. And I'm really good at it. And so uh, there's proof for that. So yes, we know that what we're doing kind of. Uh, this is the breakdown, just so you, you're like, because then they're next. How do you end up with five? First one, it was a surprise. My wife told me in Walmart many moons ago, hey, what would you do if I told you I was pregnant? And I would say, tell me who I need to sue. I go, because I'm pretty sure you're uh, on some kind of pregnancy pill or something. She's like, yeah, but those are only 98% uh, successful. I was like, wait, I fall inside 2% here. Uh, I, I have bad luck then. And so that was the first one. So the next one, we were like, well, we got to plan the next one. Legend, that's our first one. He needs a buddy. So we had Epic. And so then the, the, if you're going to catch on really quick here, the third one, uh, I walk into the house after doing a summer camp and there is a pregnancy test in the garbage can and it says positive. And I'm like, what just happened here? That is not my wife. I know it's not my wife. We're good, we're good. She comes in the house and I go, hey, somebody took a pregnancy test and they threw it away in, in, in our garbage can. She's like, yeah, that's me. And I was like, what? I thought we were having two. And now, then there was third, that was icon. And so then we thought, well, she needs a buddy. She needs a buddy, so let's have four. And so we planned the fourth one, and so historic, uh, we had historic, and then if you got the, what happened on the fifth one, right? It was a surprise again. We were just like, what? The, so we're every other, uh, right? So that obviously, if the track record goes, yes, we are going to go for six because historic needs a buddy, okay? <laughs> That is where we're headed. In the- yes, this is supposedly a Christmas sermon. And um, yeah, remember, the name of the sermon series is Go Elf Yourself. And uh, the, I mean, the stage there at Potential Church, has they've decked the halls. They've got a massive Christmas tree. Everything is Christmassy there at uh, Potential Church. As uh, Scott Mendenhall is uh, regaling us with the story of how his wife conceived. We're hearing nothing about how the virgin conceived which is kind of the important part of the Christmas story. Don't you think about how the virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus Christ, to save us from our, from, you know, from our sins? 
So, you know, rather than hearing about the virgin conceiving, we're hearing about his wife conceiving and the interesting names that he's named his children, historic icon and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it makes you wonder, are they going to start, name, you know, Moon and, you know, and things like that. You know, they can't think of Moon and Dweezil Zappa. These are the types of names that I'm hearing here. But we're not hearing about the virgin conceiving. Maybe he'll get to that. System. I'm not quite sure what to do after six if we, uh, you know, make a little bit of permanent change or we just see if there's another whoopsie. And so, anyways, we're excited. I love having a large family. Uh, Their names are what I said. Those aren't nicknames. The legend, epic, icon, and historic. The fifth one's name is... You'll find out in February because that's when she's due. Um, some of you thought for a moment you're going to know. My family would kill me if they, they had to find out by watching through a camera on a computer right now. So uh, we are excited about it, and it's been a lot of fun. All of our kids at the moment have been born in South Florida except for Legend. He missed the cut by just a few months. So he was born in the Midwest, and then we moved down here. When I, when I was invited to come interview here in South Florida, I had no intentions uh, of moving here. I had, I, I think, hey, we'd love to inter, you know, interview you for a youth pastor's position. And anytime anyone offers you a chance to go to South Florida in the winter and you live in the Midwest... You say yes. It doesn't matter why. You just go, okay, away from the snow. And so I said, yes, you're right by the beach. Okay, sure, I'll come down there. Well, we come, and we fell in love with Pastor Troy and Steph and their vision for, for changing the world. We lo- Really, Troy Gramling is going to change the world. I Not for the better. Um, his preaching is awful, and his handling of God's word is absolutely demonic vision statement of potential church partnering with people to reach your God potential. I was like, that is so, that's me. Everything Pastor Troy shared when we were interviewed. Helping people achieve their God potential. That has nothing to do with making disciples in the name of Jesus and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name. Um, okay. Um, yeah, clearly we're not dealing with the sharpest knife in the drawer here. Oh my gosh, I, I have found the place that is like where I need to be. I was meant to be here. And so before we got back on the plane, man, we were like, we've got to make sure we get back down here. They offered us to be uh, hired here and we left. And in two weeks, we came back with everything. We went home, sold our house and moved right down here in two weeks and have loved the last six years. The things that Pastor Troy have taught me how to do ministry, to be able to sit in the meetings with Pastor Troy and Pastor Steph over the last six years have made me such a better guy, a better husband, a better dad, a better leader. I mean, I am in debt to potential church like never before. And somebody should be clapping for that because this is an amazing church. Are we going to hear anything about Jesus, you know? Um, anything regarding the Christmas story, any biblical text regarding the virgin birth, anything that even remotely sounds like it has something to do with the actual biblical Christmas narratives. Amazing church. Uh, it really is. I don't have, I'm not getting a bonus at Christmas this year because I just said that just so uh, I'm not, I'm speaking from a heart. I love this place. I love that uh, potential church. Isn't just a church on the corner. It's churches everywhere. Like, I love uh, dreaming up what does it look like to be in New York City with a campus, and what does it look like to have the campuses that we do right now? Yeah, that's right. Potential Church is launching a multi-site campus in New York City. 
Love all of that. And just in the last six, seven months, I've just been processing with Pastor Troy, just being able to sit down at coffee with him and just asking him questions. Pastor Troy, here's what I'm feeling. You know, this is what, here's questions I have. Will you help me process it? And we just processing a lot of things. Uh, Pastor Troy and I have been together and just trying to figure out, hey, what's, what's next uh, for my family? You know, God, God has brought us here. We've lo- learned a lot. And so just through the questions I asked in Pastor Troy's wisdom, I mean, we we have we have stepped out and, and, and going to start a church. We are going to start a church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah, really? Um, wow. <clears throat> Doesn't Minneapolis, Minnesota already have um, like just a plethora of t- churches that don't preach the gospel and don't already rightly handle God's word? Um, they just need another one so badly. I mean, you know, let's just get them all there. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, man, so this guy's going to plant his own mega church. Oh, he's going to go far. I'm sure he's going to um, probably. He's probably already got a book deal with um, uh, with Tyndall House. I'm sure because I mean, this kid's clearly going somewhere, but has absolutely no ability whatsoever to actually preach something biblical or sound. That's a thank you for those claps because I just checked the weather this morning. It was 23 degrees. <laughs> uh, and I know cold. I grew up in it. So we're, we're excited. What we're excited about is that we're not leaving Potential Church. We're being sent out by Potential Church. We're going to be a part of that vision of, of changing the world with Potential Church. And, and, and so Potential Church is sending you out to change the world in Minneapolis, Minnesota by preaching false doctrine. Great. Yep, that'll change the world for sure, for the worst. It's it's a bit terrifying at times when I think about, like, I've been a youth pastor for 16 years. Some of you, first time uh, guests, you're looking at me, 16 years you've been in ministry, you don't look very old. I am 35. Uh, I know I don't look 35. I have to have a beard occasionally just so I feel a bit older. Uh, but uh, you're going, whoa, a lead pastor. And you got all those questions. For some of you, like, what does all that mean? It's, we're going to start from the ground up. There's no one currently attending this church that we're going to go do. We're going to build a team and we're going to do it. And it's super excited to be a part of Potential Church to do that. Because, again, uh, the investment that they've had in my family's life and in my ministry, I... I, I I never wanted. I never want to leave it. I want to be able to help Pastor Troy in that vision. So really honored that uh, Pastor Troy in Potential Church would be sending us out to do that. This isn't the last time you'll see uh, of my family and stuff. So you don't have to rush and say, "Oh, your your kids are so cute." And bye. We'll be around. We're walking through that process. But because we love this family, we want to let you guys know so you're in on the process. And, and, and even in the last six or seven months, as we've been walking through it. Man, I've learned a lot, and and as we are in our Christmas series, go elf yourself. Kind of fun to say, isn't it? Go. No, it's absolutely blasphemous. It's utterly blasphemous. I love the idea. It's all about serving people this holiday season. I love Potential Church's idea six years ago to start Christmas season off early before Thanksgiving. So you had more time to leverage a holiday that changes the mindset. As Pastor Troy shared last week, the emotions change. And so go help yourself. A lot of opportunities. You've heard all the different announcements to do it. Uh, all the coat drives and the toys and writing letters to to the, the troops and journey. Pastor Troy and Steph are 
or are preparing right now to go there. They leave this week very excited uh, to be able to follow them uh, on the, the uh, text. If you text it, it's 331s and say, Elf Yourself uh, on it. it you're going to be able to stay updated to what's happening over in Germany. And you write those letters, they're going to drop them off. If you haven't, you can stop by Santa's Toy Shop out there and, and write a letter. And we'll deliver it to the troops this week. And I love it. I love all of this stuff. And, and, and Pastor Troy communicated it so well. He said the best way to spread Christmas cheer is, and every week we're doing a different one. This week, it, it, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to give hope to the poor in spirit this year. It, it's the people that don't believe in themselves. I mean, as I've been walking through this process of, okay, leaving something that's very comfortable, everything I, I know, I've studied student ministry for 16 years. I can tell you weird things. I can tell you the hottest gifts this year that you need to be buying for your kids. I'll help you out. Beat headphones, okay? And if they have an old pair, they've updated the look, so they want the new updated look, okay? So beat headphones. Uh, if you want to stay in the technology side of things, the new iPhone colors are great as well. And the last one is a, a, a GoPro cam. So you're giving them gift-giving advice? Technical? Oh, can you tell us something about Jesus? Okay, those are just some helpful hints for you. I've studied student ministry, but when it comes to adult ministry, I'm like, ah, grown-ups. Oh, my goodness. I've never saw myself as a grown-up. How am I going to do this? They, you know, it's just- and yet you're 35 years old with how many children and you don't consider yourself a grown-up? That explains a lot. Oh, I freak out. I start going, I can't do that. God, you're, I feel you call me. To do, I can't do that. There's somebody else do that. And you start not thinking you're capable of doing what God's calling you to do. And some of you could maybe. Re- yeah, I, I must challenge that. I don't think for a second God's calling you to actually do pastoral ministry. Not even for a minute. You have shown no aptitude for rightly handling God's word, nor do I see any evidence that you've studied and shown yourself approved as somebody who can rightly divide the word of God. That today, some of you are going, yeah, I don't feel like I'm supposed to, I can change the world. Uh, I, I want to read a story, and as I read it, I want you to... Uh, Will this be a story from the Bible? Wait and see as a movie in your mind. Don't just hear the words and go, okay, this is a long story. We're not in kindergarten. Let's move on. No, hear the story and make it a movie in your mind. You're going to love it. Okay. Here's the story. One day, a young eagle fell off the nest and was picked up by a farmer. The farmer was kind enough to bring the small bird back to the barnyard so he didn't die. Um, where in the Bible? Oh, you're not reading from the Bible. The Bible nowhere tells the story about the baby eagle who fell out of the nest. And was raised by a farmer. Hmm. Yeah, this is really going badly. Eagle found a good home with the chickens and grew up believing he was a chicken. He, he waited for the farmer to bring food. He quacked when the chickens laid their eggs. And he enjoyed running around and sitting in holes in the ground on a sunny day. Life was good and comfortable. And the eagle's wildest adventure was running under the fence with his friends to that cliff where they would look out at the mountains and wonder what lied on the other side. One day, he was sitting with his fellow chickens picking seeds off the ground when a shadow covered the sky above him. He lifted his gaze and was mesmerized by the sight of a beautiful eagle cruising the sky. Unlike other chickens that he saw Trying to fly, this eagle didn't seem to be making much effort. With his wings spread wide, he was flying smoothly and changing his directions with the slightest gesture. Wow! 
Who, who is that? He asked. That's an eagle, replied a chicken. He's the king of the sky, but we belong here on earth. We are chickens, she continued. And the eagle staring at the bird disappeared in the horizon as if it was gliding on an invisible path that only he could see. Days later, the old eagle was flying again over the barnyard and was stunned by the sight of an eagle running around with chickens. He surged down to the ground. As the other birds saw, they ran back to hide in their homes. He descended in front of the other eagle before he reached the door. What are you doing? Asked the old eagle. What do you mean? Answered the young one. What are you doing running around with chickens? Well, I'm a chicken. These are my brothers and sisters. I grew up with them. You're not a chicken. You're an eagle. You belong in the sky, not on the ground. No, no, no. I, I am not. I am one of them. All I know is to do as they do and to eat what they eat. I can't even fly. You can't because you've never tried, but you're an eagle just like me. Even if what you said is true, I've lived all of my life as a chicken. I am not an eagle anymore. It's the heart of an eagle that matters, not the way he lived or ate. Come with me. The eagle took a look around at his friends hiding in the comfort of the home. Don't listen to him, yelled one of the chickens. He's tricking you, said another. If you go with him, you're going to die. Come back and be with us. But deep inside the eagle's heart, a faint voice told him what he needed to do. He took one more gaze at the barnyard where he spent all of his life playing with his friends and turned around and followed the older eagle. One moment later, they arrived at the cliff. He used to visit sometimes with his friends. They stood next to each other on the edge, looking at the mound in the distance. With, the, with a second of hesitation, the older eagle jumped off the edge, spread his wings, and soared upwards. The young eagle looked down at the cliff and trembled. He'd never flown before. Maybe he would die. Maybe he should go back. Don't look down, the old eagle said. Look up to the sky, aim towards the sun. Give it a bit of faith. The young eagle lifted his sight, spread his wings, and leaped and died. Just joking. Somebody said, oh, no. Oh, no. I didn't. Yeah, doesn't this just get you into the Christmas spirit? I mean, the story of the uh, eagle that was raised like a chicken and then learns how to fly and become an eagle. Oh, wow. This is found in Second Hesitations, chapter 96, verse 7, I'm sure. That coming. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'd stop doing that in the story if people wouldn't buy it. But every last hour, someone goes, <gasps> like, oh, my gosh, it's tragedy. Okay, here we go. So the young eagle lifted his side up, spread his wings, and leaped. Back at the barnyard, the chickens heard a triumphant cry that ascended to the heavens. Their feathers trembled, and they looked at each other without exchanging a word. They knew they will miss their brother a lot. They knew he might visit someday and tell them how it felt to fly. And they would gather around to hear the stories about the lands he visited. But for the time being, they would keep doing what they did best, living as chickens. I love that story. When I read that story, I think that's a lot of us. We are eagles. God created us to be something great. We have greatness inside us. We have a lot of potential, but we believe we're nobodies and we don't have the abilities to do the things to change the world. We uh huh. And what passages of Scripture say that? Um, because Scripture makes it clear that we're not all eagles and that we have greatness inside of us. Scripture teaches us something different. In fact, the Christmas story itself tells us that we are in need of a Savior. In fact, let me go ahead and uh, take a look at two passages here. We will begin 
with Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we have the story of the birth of Jesus that begins in verse 18. Here's what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, or Yeshua the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, notice here, we got a virgin birth. In our Christmas sermon from Scott Mendenhall, have we heard anything about the conception of Jesus thus far? Nothing. I don't know if we're going to eventually get there, but what we have heard is about the conception of his children, completely not having to do anything. It has nothing to do with um, the Christmas story at all, okay? But we continue. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son. You shall name. You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus, by the way, is that's the Greek form of it. In Hebrew, it would be Yeshua, which means Yahweh is our salvation, or Yahweh saves, or He will save. Jesus will save His people from their sins. Now I say this here because the Christmas story tells us very clearly why we need. Jesus, because he came to save us from our sins. It doesn't say that Jesus came to help unlock the seeds of potential greatness inside of us. No, he came to save us from our sins. That's why we need Jesus. That's what, why Christmas is so important. It's a story of God rescuing us and himself taking on human flesh and being born of the Virgin Mary. And then that Matthew passage ends with these wonderful words, and all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God himself comes to earth, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit to save his people from their sins. This is good news. And why? Well, other passages of Scripture make it clear what man's state is. Not that we are good people, that we're eagles living as chickens, and we just need to understand the seeds of greatness that lie within us. No, because that story about the eagle and the chickens is not actually found in the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says this about them before they were Christians. And you, you were dead. You used to be dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's right. Scripture makes it clear. That we're not born with seeds of greatness inside of us. We're born dead in trespasses and sins and are by nature now, because of our sinful, fallen, corrupt, sinful natures, we are children of wrath. We don't have seeds of greatness in us. We're born children of the devil. So this sermon is going so far off the rails, it's not even funny. And with the tragedy of it is this guy's really excited to share this message and the message he's giving us is not from the Bible at all. The message he's giving us is from some stupid story about an eagle who fell out, that fell out of a nest and was raised by chickens. 
Boy, you couldn't get farther from the truth if you tried. Let's see how he lands this thing. We still have some ways to go, though. Let's continue. That we are chickens, yet really we are eagles, and we are meant for greatness. And some of you sit there and hear that story, and you can see where it was going, and you're like, yeah, but that's meant for somebody else, not me. You don't understand my circumstances. Remember what the, the young eagle said. Oh, no, I don't know any different. All I know is how to be a chicken. And Yeah, that's right. This Christmas sermon, he's exegeting the uh, eagle chicken story. Yeah, he's exegeting it. Oh, but remember what the eagle said, as if it's scripture and it's not. All you know how to do is not believe in yourself. And today it's time to change. You are the person that, that is poor in spirit. You don't believe in yourself and it's time to believe in yourself. Because when I read through the owner's manual, the Bible, it is, it is our, why I call it the owner's manual. It's an instruction manual for you to get the most out of your life. And I read through it. it yeah, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is not an instruction manual so you can get the most out of your life. The Bible is the story of Christ. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you diligently search the scriptures and you read them because you think that in them you have life. Yet they are the very scriptures that testify about me and you refuse to come to me that you might have life. The Bible is not the missing owner's manual so that you can figure out how to happy, have a happy and fulfilled life and understand, you know, find the seeds of greatness lying within you so that you can achieve your potential. The story of the Bible tells us, number one, where we came from, it begins with the creation of this time-space continuum, this universe, and our planet in particular, and how God carefully put this all together and spoke it into existence in six days. And then it explains what went wrong. Why are things as bad as they are? Why is there disease and illness and people who you know, suffer from all kinds of problems and ailments? And why do people grow old and die? And why do the young die in car accidents? And why do children die at birth? And why and why and why? Why are there wars and all of this evil? It explains all of that. Because we were deceived by the devil and fell into sin. And in the story of the Garden of Eden, there is a promise given to humanity in the cursing of the serpent that promises called often referred to as the proto euangelion the first gospel that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent this is what scripture teaches so clearly and the fulfillment of that prophecy given all the way back in the garden of eden of the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent is fulfilled in the birth of jesus christ because jesus is not the seed of a man he's not born of the seed of the man he's born of the seed of the woman that's right See, there's so many great connections here that tell us the truth. And Scott Mendenhall, he is deceived. What he believes is the truth is the exact opposite of the truth. He really doesn't understand what the Bible teaches. And his understanding of the Bible is so marred and disfigured by false teaching that he's excited to be sharing this message that is the exact opposite polar opposite of what the truth is. And this is in a megachurch that broadcasts its message on television and to multi-site campuses around the world. These Anybody who comes into this teaching and believes they're being taught Christianity, they're being fed a lie. They're not being taught the truth. They're not being called to repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They're called to believe that they're somebody special so that they can unleash their potential. And they believe that the Bible is the missing manual so that they can achieve their potential and, and have a happy and fulfilling life. And that's not what the Bible is about at all. We continue. It's about every one of you and me are created with greatness inside us to change the world. 
And only like a small percentage believe that. Small percentage take the risk to step forward into their greatness. Most of us, when we are on the edge of doing something great, we retreat into ourselves. What if I fail? What if I don't make it? Big deal. So you know a hundred ways not to do it now. But at least you move forward. It's, it's the journey most of the time that really counts, not the destination. You, it's a great quote to throw out, but really hard to live out because, man, it's usually we want to get there. I yeah, mean, and that quote's not found in the Bible. Weird, huh? My kids, when we take trips, we, we drove this past summer from here to Chicago area. It was like 30 hours. It's meant to be like 22. But because you have four kids and a pregnant woman, it takes a long time. Okay? And when the question is asked every second. Yeah, four kids and a pregnant woman on a journey to Chicago. What about the pregnant woman, the Virgin Mary, on the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Are we hearing anything about that? No. There yet, you really start going, we'll get there when we get there. And I start saying lines that my dad said to me, and I'm going, who have I become? Oh, my gosh, it's happened. And, the, and I got to apologize. We're always about getting there and not enjoying the, the journey. In those car rides, I promise you, I had a blast with all my family there. But some of the big highlights is sitting in the Suburban with my kids and us laughing and playing games and singing ridiculous songs. And, and it's just a lot of fun because of the journey. It don't, don't get so caught up on the destination. However, that is important. Is enjoy the journey where you're at because we're all at different spots. I mean, if we were to sit around today and go, okay, let's come up with a business plan today to develop a product that's going to beat Apple in the iPhone. Let, we'd all sit around. We'd take up ideas. We're probably going to come to some variation of this. Let's get some people that have a lot of money to invest in the pro- project. Let's, let's get people with a lot of influence and, and let's use their influence to spread people about the information about the technology. Let's Let's build this great team of all-stars to do this. Because that's pretty sound business uh, when it comes to making a product work and making it sell. That's great. But when it comes to God and his plan to change the world with his son Jesus, it didn't quite work out like that. That's not the business model that God used. I mean, the the Christmas story. We're going to use that today to illustrate my point here. Uh, Oh, boy. (laughs) So we're finally going to get to the Christmas story to illustrate his point, and his point has already been demonstrated to be completely contrary in the exact opposite of the message of the Word of God. What is he going to do to the Christmas story? Oh, no, this is going to be a train wreck. God uses the most unlikely people to change the world because Jesus changed the world. Maybe you're your first time hanging out with us today and we want to make sure you love it here and you're having a blast and you're going, I'm not into religion. That's great. Neither am I. Uh, I'm into Jesus, and Jesus is a real man. I mean, historians will admit that Jesus was real. Most religions admit that Jesus was real, and Jesus changed the world. I mean, we're talking about him today. There's books wrote about him. He changed the world. And if he changed the world, maybe we could take a few things from what he did and apply it in our lives and get the same results where we're meant to change the world. So if, if you've got a second... Where in the Bible does it say that we're supposed to change the world? Nowhere. Not one verse. And you want to pull out your outline that's in your handout, you can go to Luke chapter 2. It should be on there, verse 8. Here's the beginning of the Christmas story, which inevitably changes the world. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. So we're finally, now we're just about at the halfway point, and we're finally going to hear about the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. But he's going to use the story to, to basically 
buttress the points he's already made at the beginning of this thing that's called a sermon. Shepherds camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watch over their sheep, and suddenly God's angels stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town. A Savior who is Messiah and Master. This is what you're looking for. A baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. That's the opposite of the business plan I'm talking about here. Jesus is, is brought here on planet Earth to change the world. Yet he starts in a barn. And no, he's brought here to save his people from their sins. Notice even Luke points out the fact that unto you was born a savior. Why do we need a savior? He's told the shepherds to get the message started. Those are like places that you don't deliver babies in and you don't tell shepherds in that day to get the ball rolling. But that's exactly how God works. I mean, this is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus, who is our savior, is born in a barn. I mean, I, I, uh, out of the four I've had, we uh, almost delivered Icon in the car on the way to the hospital at one point. Very funny story. Don't have time to tell, but it was. The next time, historic, we were uh, out back and we're eating dinner and all of a sudden Holly's water breaks and it goes all over the place. And I did what none of you would do. I finished my steak. Okay? <laughs> there was no hurry. We ordered, I said, Holly, you better, you know, let's get you something delicious to eat as well. So she's eating, I'm eating. We were there with a couple of friends and they're freaking out. They, they've had kids themselves, but they had only seen, had C-sections. So they were like, is this normal? We're like, yeah, we're good. I mean, it's not normal that this happens at Outback. People don't deliver babies at Outback, but it's, it's normal for us. We hung out there, finished our meal. We got in the car, drove slowly to the hospital. We went, got in the, uh, the delivery room, and in three minutes, Historic was born. <laughs> they, just, she, they, they just slip out at this point, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> But I would never choose to have the fifth baby born in a barn. I've worked in a barn. When I was nine years old, I worked in a horse barn. And my job was to clean up poop. And it wasn't exciting. It smelled really bad. And I felt like the horses had something against me. I'd walk into some of the stalls and there was poop on the walls. How does that happen? I didn't know you could aim, okay? And here these horses are aiming on the wall. And here I am, nine, ten years old, scraping off the wall. And I just felt like the horses behind me laughing. <laughs> You got to clean up my poop. Uh, it's not fun. I, I would never want to deliver any of my children. Their barns aren't clean. They smell. It's not a place for a baby. It's not anywhere. Play, it's just not fun. But here, the God's only son born in a barn. I mean, I think we forget some of those things. We forget that where Jesus started is not where actually he, he ends. Kind of with us, you start in a certain place, but it's not where you're going to end. It, it's like this back here. I got a whole thing of, of bananas. Anybody want a banana? I'll, get, I'll give you a banana. You got to have some protein. You would like banana? If you just pass this banana back, you know, like four rows, if you, you want to take a bite on the way back, that's okay too. Bananas. I love bananas. Eat them all the time. I've learned down here in South Florida that you can't keep fruit very long. Okay, bananas like three days. Boom, they're gone. It's like they're rotten. Bananas make banana bread, right? It's, it's in my house. My wife makes banana bread. It's delicious. My wife said when we, when we first got married, she was like, I'm going to make banana bread. I was like, awesome, great. And she goes, uh, just don't eat the bananas. So I didn't. I come in the house and, and a couple days later, the bananas are black. I was like, hey, Holly, the bananas are rotten. You want me to throw those away? She's like, no, they're perfect. 
Perfect for what? She's like, no, that's what I want for bananas. I want it to be rotten for the banana bread. I was like, do you know what you're doing? I mean, seriously. So she lets them get black and rotten and mushy. And then she puts in all this stuff somewhere in the middle here. And then she bakes it and bam, all of a sudden banana bread and it's delicious. The first time, I'll be honest, that I went to go eat it, I was a little like uh, uh, nervous. I was like, I saw the bananas. They were black. Yeah, that cannot taste good. It cannot be healthy for you. And so I ate it and it was delicious. It was like a party in my mouth. And I was like, woo, delicious. But they, the banana bread started out as a banana like this, went through a big old process here to become banana bread. Uh, avocados. When I first moved down here, like in the Midwest, avocados don't grow. Uh, there's a family that would bring me their avocados and they were mammoth. I was like, that is, that's legit. This is obviously not a, a, a Florida one bought from probably Publix. But avocados, through a process all the way through here, becomes guacamole. Now, I'm a fan of guacamole. It's a healthy fat source, and I won't bore you with the nutrition things that I know. But it's a healthy fat source for you. And it's delicious. Best guacamole around, chipotle. Oh, man. So he said, yeah, get a clap on that, yeah. I mean... To have a burrito the size of your head with that guacamole on it, woo! It's like deliciousness, okay? That is like awesome. Uh, like if somebody brought one out right now, we'd have to pause so I could eat it, okay? But this, it starts out here and it becomes this. And it's a process. And we're all, we get it. We go, yeah, I get that. That becomes that. But when it comes to our lives, we're not willing to go through the process to get the results that we want. We want to go from this and just magically with the snap of the fingers, bam, we're here changing the world, being the thing that God created us to be. It doesn't work like that. Who would like this guac and chips? All right, here on the front row. There you go. Enjoy. It's, it's, oh, somebody said, what, would you like just the avocado? I'd like to hook you up. Okay, no. See, no one wants just an avocado. You want the guacamole. Uh, It's a process, and you guys are in a process. I'm in a process to become great. This isn't for young people to hear. This is for you to hear. We're so good at saying, I wish this next person heard, but it is for you to hear today. You are no longer to be an eagle amongst chickens. You need to stop playing around with the chickens that are afraid to unlock their greatness. And you need to take step forwards to unlock your greatness. Keep moving. What would it look like if a chicken unlocked its greatness? I'm thinking, you know, 13 you know, secret herbs and spices would unlock a chicken's greatness, don't you think? Forward. I mean, think about this. Jesus... When he was born, we hear about him. About 13, we hear about him for a second because he's teaching the, the people in the synagogue. And then, bam, he's gone for a while. And then at the age of 30, we hear about him. So for 30 years, Jesus was on a journey that prepared him for the, the time where all of a sudden we read about him, where he began to really change the world. What was happening in those 30 years? He was being equipped. He was being taught. He was going through processes that he could not probably explain and would choose to go through. But he went through because he needed to be prepared for when he was 30 years old, where he really began to have the biggest impact. Took 30 years for him to spend three years of doing his ministry. And then he was crucified. 30 years. We read about why was he crucified? And what does the term savior mean in the Luke passage that you read? What's the importance of that? Do you know, Scott? Three years of what he did. And it's tremendous. But it didn't go just easy. You're like, oh, yeah, this Jesus. It was really easy. No, he, he had his critics. When he was 13, he stood up and he talked. The, the, the older people said, oh, he's just a, his dad's a carpenter. Big deal. This guy is not meant for anything. Look where he came from. He's a carpenter. 
You need to read that passage um, from the Gospel of Luke because that is not the reaction of uh, the uh, the people in the temple. It's weird. It's it's as if this kid is like completely unfamiliar with what the Bible actually says. In fact, let's take a look at that passage, Luke chapter two, verse forty one. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, they were returning, and the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him." After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, what I just read from you from the Gospel of Luke, does that sound anything like what Scott Mendenhall said was the reaction of the people uh, when Jesus went missing? Let me back it up so that you can hear what he's saying. It's as if he doesn't, he's completely clueless about what the Bible says, but he's exegeting the story of the eagle that uh, was raised with chickens and then he was crucified 30 years we read about the three years of what he did and it's tremendous but it didn't go just easy you're like oh yeah this jesus it was really easy no he, he had his critics when he was 13 he stood up and he talked the 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 older people oh he's just a, his dad's a carpenter big deal this guy is not meant for anything look where he came from he's a carpenter Yeah, that's not what happened when he was 12. Weird, huh? He started doing ministry. In in John chapter 1, verse 46, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, were from a different town. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law in whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, I I, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's the first time I've ever, you know, actually read anything with the name Nazareth in it. This guy has not studied the Bible. He has not studied to show himself approved. He is not qualified to be a pastor. He's not qualified to teach anybody anything regarding the Bible. And this story here in, in uh, that he's quoting uh, from the Gospel of John, uh, can anything good come from Nazareth? Actually, I think it's, you know, but, um, this, this text does not actually teach what he's saying. Um, this, is, this is not to say that Jesus had his critics because then they go on to become his disciples. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Immediately, just because where he's from, like, no, this guy you're talking about, the Messiah, there's no way. He's from Nazareth. That's like not cool. It's like the armpit of the world. No, why would anyone, anything good come from there? Sound familiar for you? Oh, how could you be used? You you work in a cubicle. How could it, you don't have. So now we're going to turn that into something about you. The story isn't about you. It's about Jesus. 
education. You, you weren't raised the right. All these different excuses why you can't. We got critics everywhere. If you listen to all your critics, you'll never do anything. Some of you, as I said, man, I'm going to go be a lead pastor immediately. You're like, whoa, yeah, I don't see that. I think you're off on that one little guy there. You know, you're crazy. Uh, we all have it. And if we spend our time listening to it, we'll never do it. Because the people that are critics, they don't want you to go and do something. Because if you do something, now they have to ask themselves, why am I not doing something? Yeah, actually, I am doing something. And uh, the reason I don't think you should be a pastor is because you do not meet the biblical qualifications to be a pastor. You have no clue what the Bible's about at all. Clearly, you are utterly clueless when it comes to the Bible. Critics want to keep weights on us to keep us grounded. Stop allowing them to ground you. Keep moving forward. It's like this. It's not the critics who count. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly. Now he's reading from something. I have no clue what he's reading from, but it's not from the Bible. Who errs? Who comes short again and again? Because there is no effort without error in coming short. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end of triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that there is his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor death. The critics, they don't do anything except for tell you you can't. Stop listening to them. You've got to begin to believe what the owner's manual says for you. You've got to accept that the, the biblical truth that God uses the most unlikely people to change the world, to do his work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. Yeah, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, the message of the cross is foolishness. Um, yeah, you're not preaching the message of the cross. That's the really sad irony of this sermon that we've got going on here. You're not preaching the message of the cross. You're preaching something completely contrary to it. My question for you, Scott, is why was Jesus hanging dead on the cross? Why does it say that he was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities? Why do we need a Savior? Those, but those on their way to salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works. And the most powerfully, as it turns out, it is written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I will expose so-called experts as crackpots. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in these day and age? Hasn't God exposed it as all pretentious nonsense? Since the world in its, its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb preaching of all things to bring those who trust him into the way of salvation. That is a wordy way to say God uses you and me, the nobodies of the world, to do something pretty great. If you kn- yeah, No, actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is not about God using the nobodies of the world. <clears throat> Written by the Apostle Paul, who wasn't exactly a nobody, this man who, who actually knew the Old Testament Before he could study with Gamaliel, he had to have the entire Old Testament memorized. Okay, This is a guy who actually studied God's word. 
Here's what Paul says. Let me read from the ESV because Scott was reading to us from the message paraphrase, which you should never under any circumstances be preaching from, nor should you be sitting under a preacher who's preaching from the message. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, here's what it says. For the word of the cross, that's right, the cross, that's that thing that the Romans killed people on and executed them on, form of psychological warfare to keep people in check, in line. It was a terrible way to die. And those poor people who were put on the cross, they were the scum of the earth. They were just absolute, well, you know, uh, criminals and sinners and things like that. In fact, Scripture says that cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The reason why it's folly uh, to Jews is specifically because you want me to believe in a guy who was cursed by God? That was the whole point of the cross. Jesus is the one who becomes the sinner who dies in our place and is our substitute. But 1 Corinthians one eighteen, for the word of the cross, it's folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, well, the message of the cross, the word of the cross It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world uh, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, not through the folly of the messengers, but the folly of the message of the cross, but through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This isn't about God calling, you know, people, you know, who are lowly in the world to greatness. This is about God using the most foolish message of all humanity to save people. Big difference. Where I came from, I mean, seriously, I, I'm a little kid from the middle of Illinois that grew up next to a horse barn. Most unlikely person that should be standing on a stage at potential church, I promise you that. I'm not an educated guy. I, I barely got through it. I had to work really hard to do it. I am simply where I am, and I understand it because of what God has done in me, and I accept that that's where my confidence lies. It's not in what I can do. It's in what He can do. And that's the same thing for you. God is not going to set you up to just fail, and that's your destiny. We might fail. Yeah, First Corinthians one eighteen and following is not about you and your destiny and failure. It's about the foolishness of the message of the cross. Christ dying for our sins on the cross. It's because we're trying. I'd much rather try and fail than do nothing and fail. It's so much more fun failing forward than backwards. And you've got two options. There's not in between. It's either fail forward or fail backwards. I'd rather fail going after something. Maybe you came in here today and you're just like, man, I'm on the fence on starting that business. I'm on the fence. Do I keep going in my job? I'm on the fence with my marriage. If something doesn't happen today, tomorrow I'm filing for, for divorce. Man, I'm on the fence with my kids. Maybe I ship them off because, man, alive, they're crazy. It can't be my kids. You, you just go, you're on the fence. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't allow your circumstances of today to determine your destiny. Because if we did that, if I did that, we'd never do anything. 
My life has been ups and downs and great times and low times. If I made all of my decisions based on how I was feeling, I'd be in big trouble. There'd be a lot of things I'd have to apologize for. But it is, it is my choice to believe what the owner's manual says in Psalm chapter 139, verse 13. Listen to this. This is for everyone. And, and don't just go, this is the Bible I'm going to turn. Listen to this. This is, this is about you and me. Remember when we read earlier about Jesus came for everyone, for the entire world, not just a select group, but everyone. Psalms chapter 139, 13 says, Oh, yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The day of my life... The days of my life were all prepared before I even lived one day. Man, when you really start to believe that, life becomes a little bit different all of a sudden. I was talking to uh, a a young lady a couple weeks ago, and she's just going through something physically. She's been struggling with it for a few years, and she's just like, I don't get it. I just want it to stop. I want to quit. I want to give up. This is not fun. And I, I I could agree with her. I was like, yeah. I would want to as well. But when I read the owner's manual, I have to then go, but maybe God has a bigger plan than you and I are aware of here. Maybe you're walking through this and you're saying, God, I don't want to do. Maybe we're we're asking the wrong things of God. Maybe it's those things have come into our lives so that we can learn something or meet somebody to invite them to church or allow them to understand that they have greatness inside them. If we would leverage all of those moments to now, okay, God, may I meet the person I need to meet so that I might be able to invite them to church or be able to talk to them about the greatness that lies inside them. God, give me those opportunities so then this can be over with. Instead of God, just take it away, take it away, take it away. Because that's initially where we all go, God, just take it away. But if we could get to, God, may I learn what I need to learn because I'm in a journey. And everything is for a reason, not just, oh, God forgot about you. I think sometimes we think God's up there playing golf and he's like, oh, no, I forgot. I didn't know that was going to happen today. I forgot to check my day planner. He's not. He's got it all mapped out. He knows the very things that you need inside you so that when you meet that person, you can pour into them. And that they can get from you what they need so they can continue to unlock their greatness. If we see it that way, that means now the encounters at the grocery store are now completely different. The encounters of the people you work with, as annoying as they are, are now different. Now it's, what can I learn from them and what can I give to them? Instead of, oh, we're just around existing, just try to make money and then we have kids and we die. It's not that. It's to improve the quality of life for people. It is to spread the gospel. It is to unlock our greatness, the things that lie inside you. It's to be the eagles we were created to be and not the chickens. However, most of us, when contemplating, do I quit? We spend more time thinking about quitting than actually saying, if I'm not going to quit, I'm going to keep moving forward. I, 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 love, I love it like this when it comes to my thoughts, when it comes to, to quitting. It, it, it's, it's this. And I read it to myself all, all, all the time. Pain is temporary. It may last a minute, an hour, or a day, or a year, but eventually it will subside and something else will take its place. 
If I quit, however, it lasts forever. See, if you quit on that marriage today, it's over. If you quit on that job, it's over. If you quit on starting that new business, it's over. So the Christmas story is about starting a new business, really? Boy, this is really putting me in the spirit of Christmas. How about you? Not even close. Man, this is just the blind leading the blind. Keep going one more day. Keep fighting one more day. Don't lose the fight. Don't give up. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But if you keep moving forward, you will begin to change the world. Because we're the, we're the group. We're the most unlikely people. We always think it's the famous people that are going to change the world. But when I read the owner's meeting, God used shepherds to tell the story. He used people like David, King David, where we read a lot of his stuff and apply. But David started out as a shepherd boy, the youngest. His dad didn't even bring him in the room when they were looking to find uh, one of his kids to be the next king. They, his dad didn't even consider him worthy enough to be in that room. And, and, and Samuel goes, you got anybody else? Because none of your other sons are here. He goes, oh, yeah, I got one chronic guy. He's out in the shepherd's field. You want me to get him? Yeah, bring him in. Bam, he comes in and Samuel tells him, hey, you are going to be the next king. And a lot of us think, oh yeah, man. And then all of a sudden he was king the next day. How awesome is that? No, guess what? It was years, almost 30 years, I think, uh, moving forward before he became king of Israel. He lived in caves. People tried to kill him. Those are not things that we want to go through, but those are the things that he walked through so that he might be able to be the most effective king that he could possibly be. The disciples, the 12 guys that Jesus hung around with. Jesus chose the most unlikely of people. He, here's how I know this. In that culture, when you were uh, turned to, uh, you know, just around the teenager age, you would be shipped off to, to learn the ways of a rabbi. You would be taught all, all of the Old Testament. You had to memorize it and a lot of different things. And then on one given day, there would be a test in front of all the rabbis. And you would have to recite the Old Testament. And they didn't think you had it. They would tell you to go do your father's trade. If you had it, however, they would say, hey, come follow me. A rabbi would say, I want you, would you please come follow me? When I read that, it totally started making more sense to me because I used to read and go, why would the disciples, just a random guy, they just meet Jesus and Jesus says, hey, come follow me. Not go, hey, uh, can I see some kind of credentials? Can I, uh, like, who are you? Because you don't read that. Jesus comes along to the disciples and says, hey, follow me. They're like, awesome. I don't have to be a fisherman anymore. Sweet deal. Bam. Drops it and they follow them. They were the rejects of their generation. They weren't selected. They were told that you weren't good enough. Yet that's the very crowd that Jesus used to start changing the world. That gives permission for you and me to do it. Esther. She becomes queen yet not born in royalty at all. So one day she just did her makeup right, I guess. And the king of that day goes, man, she's hot. Wow. I'd like her to be my queen. She becomes the queen. And later on, she, she's actually put in the right spot where she gets to save a generation of people because she was in the right spot. Clearly, some Mac makeup person came by and said, this is how you do your makeup. And it worked out real well. That was the preparation, I guess, she needed to have. And I tell all those stories to say, man, the Bible's full of men and women that were the nobodies of their generation that kept going, 
They didn't quit. David had every reason to quit. Somebody's threatening his life. Don't you think that's a good reason to quit? He didn't give up. And that's why we read about him. If you give up, we don't talk about you changing the world. However, if you stay the course, we talk about you. If you give up, we don't talk about you changing the world. It's not the message of the Bible. That's not what Christian discipleship is about. This is so, so sad. This is literally the worst Christmas sermon I have ever heard. Look at what they've done because you inspire. You give permission for other people to do it. That's what it's about. Be inspired today to unlock your greatness, to start that business, to stick it out in the marriage, to, to go one more day. I, I, How about repent and be forgiven by the Savior who was born of the Virgin Mary to save his people from their sins? How about that? We're not hearing anything about that, are we? A couple weeks ago. Any clue? I mean, if you're an unbeliever and you've showed up, do you, are you hearing anything about the Savior, what he really came to do? Are you being confronted with your sins and called to repent in faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Not even close. I was doing um, uh, a Miami Man Ironman, and that's, it was a brutal race for me that day. It was not fun. I wanted to quit every moment. It was the longest race I've ever had time-wise. Like, it was just, I was hurting, I was sick, I'm coughing, uh, I just was not fun. And I get out of the swim, and I just tell Holly, my wife, I was like, I, I can't do this. But I was like, I, and then I said, I, I can't do it, but I'm going to force myself. And I got on my bike, rode 56 miles in a, the rain and wind, and man, my body was hurting. I did not want to, I knew I had to run after that. I didn't come in, and I get my bike off my bike, and I'm, I told Holly again, I want to quit. It's okay to say you want to quit. It's okay. Just don't. I mean, it's okay. Tweet it all day. I want to quit, but I'm not going to. Because even, here, here's the deal. Why I, I give you permission to do it is because as we wrap this thing up, this is what Jesus does. Jesus is faced with the reality that he's going to be crucified. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 42, again, Jesus changed the world. A man that changed the world. How about the man who died for the sins of the world? What did, the, what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How about that? He prays, my Father, if this cup cannot go away until I drink it, your will be done. What's Jesus saying? I don't want to do this. I don't want to, if there's another way than me to have to die on the cross for this to happen, I, I, I'm, I'm ready for that. But then he said, but your will be done. Scott, do you know why Jesus was hanging on the cross? Because everything you've said so far shows that you are clueless as to what he was doing on the cross. Was it just that he didn't want to quit so that he can change the world? Is that why? It's okay to talk about quitting, but simply just say, but God, your will be done. I'm going to stay the course until I have a clear, clear order to not do this anymore. You can't pick it back up once you quit. It's over. You're done. Keep fighting the good fight. Because I promise you, a few moments later. So is fighting the good fight now the equivalent of um, uh, starting a business? Uh, not quitting during the Iron Man? Is that what it means to fight the good fight? It can all change. One phone call can change it all. The next day you could get that promotion that you've been wanting. 
You could, your marriage could all of a sudden come together. Your family could come together. Tomorrow it just might happen because God has a big plan for you. If you would, just close your eyes for a moment as we wrap this thing up and just think about you. Think about your life for a moment. Yeah, think about you. Mm, boy, that sums it up, doesn't it? It's, this whole sermon's been about who? You, not Jesus, not the virgin who gave birth. No, we haven't heard really anything about him at all. A lot about Scott Mendenhall, and now you. And this whole message is a false gospel that doesn't rightly understand what our condition is and why we need a Savior and why the virgin conceived and gave birth to a son and why he was called Emmanuel, why he is Emmanuel. And what is it that you've been thinking about quitting? Is it time not to quit? What is it you've been thinking about you should do, but you haven't because you've been listening to your critics or why God couldn't use me to start that? Maybe you are the very person that he wants to start that. And I want to read from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. This is God talking to all of us. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not, do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's with you wherever you go. Yeah. Oh, man. This is just terrible. This guy does not even know what the message of Christianity is at all. And yet he's going to go plant a church. And now, for how many years has he been teaching the youth at potential church this nonsense? This isn't Christianity. Those kids are not Christians. They do not know what the gospel is. They're clueless about what the Bible is about, what the true message of salvation is. When you get in the car right after this, he's with you. When you go home, he's with you. At work, he's with you. At school, he's with you. He doesn't leave you. Don't leave him. Let me pray. God, I pray for everyone in the... Done. Man, was that painful. Yeah, I am convinced that is the worst Christmas sermon or anything that posed as a Christmas sermon that I've ever heard in my life. (sighs) Completely vacuous, showing an absolute ineptitude at understanding what the Bible is. This kid has not been catechized. He doesn't know what the real message of salvation is. He has no clue why Jesus was born or what it is that he really accomplished. He can actually talk about the cross and be completely clueless as to what the cross was about. Ah, this is so sad. I, I don't even have any words anymore. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>